0: media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.cornerstone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Revelation 21. Last week we began this series with an overview to the subject of heaven, the general truth uh that uh I would love for us to understand about uh, you know, just all these different things. Uh, I probably get as many questions about heaven as I do almost anything else as a pastor. Will there be this? Will there be that? And so many times it really is, uh, you know, they're interesting questions and ones that I've asked myself or at least pondered. But last week we did, we did something and uh, I don't know if you still have your BB somewhere. Uh, you probably don't have it this morning, but I gave out little BBs. And this was the whole point last week. Because through this series, I, I want you to take home something that you can just forever kind of remember. Yeah, the, here's a timeless truth, a biblical truth about the unknown, about heaven. And last week, we gave out these little babies because we said, this is really kind of our capacity to understand the things that uh, we read about in Revelation 21 and 22. And sometimes that's very frustrating for you and I, because we want to know all these different details of heaven. But I promise you, I think it's really important for us to grasp that God is not holding out because he's trying to keep it a secret. Okay, this is not God holding out because he says, okay, I just don't want to tell you. He's not holding out because there's a, it's like a big surprise birthday party and shh, don't tell, shh, don't tell. No, that's not the reason. The Bible tells us that there's only this limited capacity for us to understand the things that we'll see there, the glory of God. Now, we can talk about the holiness of God, we can sing about the glory of God, but I promise you guys, in this earthly mind, in this limited understanding, I really do not understand the fullness of the holiness of God, but one day I will. I don't understand the fullness of God's glory, but one day I will. And so this holding out of all these questions isn't because God is just trying to say, okay, it's a big surprise, and I want you to be surprised when you walk in the door. Like a surprise birthday party, hey, everybody come at 6, but the guest is coming at 6.15, or the person's birthday is 6.15, and we're going to be there, and we're all going to say, surprise! That's not why God's not giving us more information. In fact, as we began to discuss last week that He's given us all the information that we need, and that is His holiness and His glory, and we get God. Right now, we have a limited ability to understand that, and that's biblical. It's not a punishment; it's just a limitation. And even though that was heaven was not really the context in these next two verses, for all, because I'm always preaching context. Read the passage, read the entire book, you know, understand where that book plays out in all of the Bible. So we always want to keep things in context. And even though these next two passages we're not talking specifically about heaven, they are talking about the limitations that we have now in our earthly bodies, even as the redeemed, to understand the fullness of these spiritual truths. 1 Corinthians 2, 9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. Tell tell us right up front, Paul's saying, look, as big as your imagination could be, it's bigger than that, it's greater than that. Later on in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, he said, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, what? Face to face. He gets back to the, the direction that we're going, that we get to be with God. And we just sing about being on greener pastures and and all that. That's part of our understanding of what release and freedom from sin will be. But guys, I promise you, it's all about God. It's all about his glory. And one day that will make sense. For now we see in the mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Does God know everything about you? Even the number of hairs on your head. And if we look at the promise that he's put there, he says, okay, you're going to have a fullness of knowledge of his holiness, of his righteousness. Now, having said all that, with these, all these limitations, with our little BB brain and our capacity to understand this fullness of heaven and the glory of God, has God given us enough to live righteously? You know, this limitation that we have does not, you know, allow us to use this excuse. Well, if I would have known more, if I would have really had like this full picture of your holiness, I would have lived a lot differently. I promise you that is a truth. If <laughs> we really knew the fullness of the holiness of God, but everything that we see about God now that's been revealed to us that we can understand by his spirit and by his word calls us to righteous living. Is it enough for us to long for heaven? And not just the escapism. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. Longing for heaven isn't just, I am so tired of this earth. It is that. And it's longing to be with God. If God is the focus, if it's relationship with him that is the focus, it's not just getting away from the evils of this world. That's part of it. And it certainly, I think, is God's understanding of that. And we'll see that in verse 4 in two weeks. No more crying, no more pain. I mean, it is escaping some of these things. But the point of heaven isn't just escaping the drudgery of this world. We get God. We get to be with God. Is it enough for us to finish the race strong and hard? Yes. And so with that in mind, let's go back to Revelation 21 verse 1 and see some of the first characteristics of of was awaiting for those who have placed their trust in Christ to be with, and and that's the only way that we can be right with the Holy God. Revelation twenty one one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. What's the first word, at least in this translation? You may have a different translation, but it's going to be a similar word, either then or one similar. What's the first word? Then. What that sets up is kind of a timeline. And, and guys, uh, up to this point, if we go back and read the, the previous chapters in Revelation, we're going to see things like tribulation. We're going to see the Antichrist. We're going to see 144,000. We're going to see uh, Armageddon. We're going to see the second coming of Christ, the marriage of the Supper of the Lamb. We're going to see the millennial reign of Christ, the great white throne judgment. All these different things that are kind of come before this. Now we get to chapter 21, and in the vision that God gave to John, he says, then. In other words, okay, there's a timeline. And some people love timelines. In fact, some people have spent their entire life trying to get the timeline exactly right. The problem is, it's really hard to do that, because some of these are figurative, some are literal, some are symbolic, some are exact. I mean, there's a lot of people, okay... Millennial reign? Is that going to be a 1,000 years? Or are we already in the millennial reign? There's just a lot of different interpretations. In fact, one of the things that I've uh, told you all along, any time that we go to Revelation, and we start looking at some of the predictions and some of the prophecy what's going to happen, if you got eight, to, let's just say you had 10 of your favorite pastors, theologians, writers, and authors. Okay, whatever your persuasion is, and you got your Charles Stanley, and you got you know Alistair Begg and you got this person and then all these people that you're going, man, they're solid. Billy Graham, and you you know, you just got all your people, R. C. Sproul, the Johns, John MacArthur, John Piper, you know, all the Johns. And you line them up and you say, okay, what does that verse mean? you know out of those ten pastors that you fully trust and probably would agree on a lot of things, if not all things, but have eight or nine, ten different interpretations of just that one verse? And that would be consistent throughout, you know, Revelation and the study of it. So, so we don't ignore that because the Bible says that this is the one book that says this is a blessing to read it. It's a blessing to read all of the Word of God, but this is the only book that says in the very beginning, hey, it's a blessing to you to read this book. So do we just ignore and not try to figure it out? I think we try to be as insightful as we can, guys. But remember the old bank vaults? You know, if you were like, and it had a combination, you know, 32 to the left, 21 to the right, 17 to the left, 33 to the right. What happens if you didn't turn it right or left at the right time? What if you missed it by one number? It doesn't unlock. And so oftentimes we think that God is hiding all this information Kind of in this way of okay, you just got to get the right combination and there 's been many throughout the centuries that thought they got the right you know the right combination. I was telling somebody uh, uh, last week there was a church and, and they were i mean this guy studied the word he knew more about revelation in some ways than I will ever know, and he had predicted this was back in the '80s. And it predicted that this was the date that it was coming back. And I forget exactly what that date was. And he told his whole church, this is the part that it kind of very much leaves scripture at this point. Hey, just go charge up your, your cards and all that. Just leave all that debt behind for the devil. That's what he told his church. And unfortunately, a lot of people actually went and did that. And let's just say that it was July 12th of 1984 that he was, you know, Christ was Can you imagine what July 13th was like for the reality of those people? When the visa bill came in? (laughs) Folks, we have a limited capacity to understand. It's not because we have a God who's not a God of revelation. Everything about, we would know nothing except for what creation cries out if God did not reveal himself through his word, through his son, and through his spirit. And yet he is a God of, we know his character. We know that he's holy. We know that he gives grace. We know these things. Why? Because we're such great detectives. No, because he's such a great God in his revelation. And so when we come to a place like Revelation, and we want to figure it out dates and timelines and all these Folks, my personal belief is that we're just going to have a limited ability to know. But when I come to verse 1 and it says then, at least I go, okay, this is probably after these other events. So that's where we are in your timeline. You can correct me with your timeline after the service. I'll be glad to look at your timeline and see how we would vary or anything like that. All I know is he's coming back. And I know that all these things will happen in God's perfect time in his perfect way. That some may be literal, some may be interpretive, that that God's going to do it the way that he's going to do it. But here's the one thing that I do want you to see. There is a sense of order. God is a God of order. And after the events of Revelation 20 will come the events of Revelation 21. Look at verse 1 again. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. That's what he says there. And it's a question that scholars and believers have wrestled with over centuries of time now. There's a lot of different interpretations, uh, mainly about how are they new? Uh, why, why, are, why is the present earth... A, the present heaven good enough? We can kind of figure out the answer to that, to the present earth. But why is the present heaven not good enough? So are these new in the sense that the old are obliterated and gone? Some scholars believe that. The word that's used there for new in the Greek means new in freshness, substance, and it especially means redeemed. And that's where my heart goes. If you just want to know what your pastor believes about this, what will be new about the heavens and the earth? They'll be redeemed. It's not that they're not redeemed now, but there's going to be this redeeming that goes on, this newness. It's the same Greek word that Paul used when he describes what happened to you and I when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, a very familiar passage to us. Same Greek word that's used. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Now, even Nicodemus, remember the discussion between Nicodemus in the New Testament and the Gospels? And he said, how can I be born again? Do I I go back into my mother's womb? He was kind of going, okay, how do I take this? What does born again mean? So we struggle. Okay, is this literal? Is this, you know... No, it's talking about redemption. When you came to Christ, in a way, in a way, did you become brand new, born again, whatever term that you wanted there, that the old truly did die and the new is here? Is that a spiritual truth? Yes. Did your physical body shrivel up, become obliterated, and then all of a sudden you had a brand new body? No. So somewhere in all this mystery, this word new doesn't mean just always out with the old, destroyed, forever gone. And the new is brand new, as in new creation. Kind of confusing, isn't it? And that's why over the years, and the centuries, scholars have kind of went back and forth. Here's what I want you to know this morning. I, I personally believe that this means new in redemption, that this means that God has fully redeemed everything that was broken by sin. Now Christ in his victory has totally restored, redeemed everything that was intentional by God. But I want you to get that word redeemed and intention, and I want you to lean those together. God has a purpose. He has a purpose in his redemption, and he has a definite plan. Turn out Isaiah 65 real quick. Isaiah 65, 17. Let me take you through about three scriptures that talk about a new heavens and a new earth. And I want you to know that this wasn't the first time that term, analogy, was used, and John's not hearing it for the first time. In the Old Testament to the prophets, to the prophet Isaiah, God had given a vision of a new heavens and a new earth. Isaiah 65, 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the four things shall not be remembered or come into mind. We began to discuss that in life group the other night. Oh my goodness, does that mean we don't remember? <sighs> BB. <Bibi. laughs> but what redeeming quality do we learn from this though? While well, we, our mind may be so small and we don't, we're not capable of fully understanding all that it means, what can we know? That God has a plan. Isaiah 66, 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, shall your offspring and your name remain. New heavens, new earth. We go to the New Testament. We see that Peter is writing, look what Peter writes. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens, new earth, in which righteousness dwells. This is not a new concept, guys. So what does it tell me? Does it tell me every detail that I know need to know about what the new heavens and new earth are going to be like? Does it tell me, is this like new because the old was obliterated? Or is this like more that emphasis of redemption and restoration of that which was broken by sin and now Christ in his victory has redeemed it and restored it? No matter where you fall in one of those interpretations, I think we would all agree God has a plan. What is more important in your mind and your heart this morning that you can figure out 1,000% correct interpretations or that in our ignorance, we know one thing, God has a plan. Which one's more important, guys? Can you rest in that? I'm not saying that he doesn't reveal a lot of things. I'm not talking about that we should be, you know, have this longing for ignorance. No, seek out what the Word says. Study the Word. Look from Genesis to Revelation and see how it's all rooted together. But have this confidence when you come upon questions that even the scholars over time have scratched their heads with. God has a plan. Can you rest in that? This morning, when you've lost a loved one. When you wonder, uh, you know, well, I see mom or dad first. Well, uh, you know, Is my granddaddy going to be there? Is this going to happen? Or, or What's going to happen to husband and wife? Well, I know my children. Every one of us, we think of those questions. But I'm not so sure that we're always going to get an earthly answer that, our, that we can fully understand maybe some general ones and so what do we do throw our hands up in frustration god why are you holding out no he has told us the important thing he has told us that he has a plan revelation 21:22 look at this plan and john says i saw the holy city new jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. God's vision showed that there was preparation, that there was order, that there was intention. Now it says, a bride adorned and prepared, prepared a bride. There, in previous chapters, we were talking about how you and I need to be prepared. And the illustration of the bride oftentimes is, okay, bride, Be prepared. And we can only imagine that a bride would be prepared for her wedding day. And so that's a lot of the emphasis here. In this verse, all the emphasis is that not the bride is doing the preparation, but that God is preparing the bride. Rest in that, guys. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. In many ways, it's the very point that Jesus used to his disciples. Jesus went and told his disciples, okay, I'm going to die on a cross and they're going to put me in a tomb. I will rise again on the third day and then I'm going to go sit beside God in heaven. And what did the disciples do when they found out that Jesus was leaving them at the end of this three-year ministry, that they had three years? What, What did they do? Well, if you looked at the original Greek, it said that they freaked out. They were scared, guys. They were scared beyond belief. Well, what do we do? We've, we've devoted our whole life to you. We, we want to go with you. We just, why would you leave us? Can you imagine if you were one of the disciples and you just invested? You, you had left everything. You had dropped the fishing nets. You had left the family business. You had even left your family, in a sense, to travel with Christ. And then he comes into, three years into the ministry, and he says, I'm going to leave you guys. I promise you, the word freaked out, or the phrase freaked out, would be minimal to what we would really be experiencing in our minds and our hearts and our emotions. What was Jesus' response when he saw their emotional, their fear, their fright. John 14, 2 and 3. Look look very carefully at this, guys. Jesus' response, he said, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? If you write in your Bibles, underline that. That's a really important part of his answer. To prepare a place. Verse 3, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. And here's the most important part. That where I am, you may be also. They're freaking out. They have nothing but questions. What will we do? How's life going to go on? Jesus responds, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you will be also. It's all about being God. We get God. And yet, we have human minds. I mean, can you imagine the arguments that the disciples took from this? Well, I bet my mansion's going to be bigger than your mansion. And we laugh because it's funny, but they already had arguments. Go back and trace through the Gospels how many times Jesus said, you know, that, you know, when they were fighting about who was the greatest among them. It wasn't once, it wasn't. Do you know on the road to Jerusalem, as he's going to the cross that week, what are they talking about in the back? Who's going to be sitting beside Jesus? Who's the greatest among them? This is where our human brain goes. And before we excuse ourselves and just place it all in the disciples, how many of us have always kind of wondered about the whole mansion thing? You know, have you ever wondered, you know, is mine going to be big? Is it... You know, if we're not given in marriage, does my wife have one and do I have one? Is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? <laughs> Our human minds look at the mansion part and that's not the emphasis. I go to prepare a place. There's order. There's intention of me going. And the ultimate end is that where I am, you may be also. My question for you this morning, church, is that enough for you? I mean, we know the right answer. We know the church answer. Yes, yes. Is that enough when you really do have quandary? I mean, sincere quandaries over how heaven's going to be and all the different things about heaven? Folks, this is a very true statement. The mansions aren't really gonna matter. We get God. We get God face to face in His glory. And I don't know how all of it's going to work out. If he says mansions, I'm going to go prepare. I guess there are mansions there. It doesn't matter. We get God. Look at verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men in their mansions right beside his throne. Is that what it says? No. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. We get God. But here's what we do with this. We begin to think about, you know, okay, again, the physical the part, the, the earthly mind part, the mansion part. What about my kids, my grandchildren? A lot of us are more concerned about where our grandchildren are going to be than our than our kids. They can find their own place. <laughs> but the grandkids, I want the grandkids there. You know, this for all eternity. Truly really not trying to be silly. I'm trying to point out how in my mind right now, in heaven, I really would like to have my kids and my grandkids there. Because even on earth, I'm going, you know, I wonder if we bought enough land And they could settle here, and I could settle here. What years ago, I would have thought was crazy and weird and like, oh my goodness, that's like a clan or something. Now I'm going, man, wouldn't that be great that your grandkids are growing up right around you? The mansions aren't going to matter, guys. Are there going to be mansions? I think so. Jesus said that. I don't think he was kind of kidding us. But we missed the point. He went to prepare a place. There's intentionality. There's an order there. And what is the order purposely leading to? We get God. We will see him face to face. He will be our God and we will be his people. And here's the timeless truth that I think applies here. Last week it was the BB. Here's what I want you to remember this week. Just because I think it's helpful sometimes for us to work out complexities with simplicities. Plus I'm a pretty simple person. I don't do complex real well. Would you agree that ninety-nine point nine percent of our questions about heaven are very horizontally related, earthly related? What are we gonna wear? Are we gonna eat? Last week are we going fishing? Are we gonna go golfing? I mean, ninety-nine percent of our questions, aren't they kind of this? Is it frustrating that God doesn't answer those questions? Like if we all wear robes is it all going to be white robes? If we have bodies are they all going to look the same? I mean very generic? If you died when you were 7 are you going to be 7 in heaven? If you died at 107 are you going to be 107 in heaven? A healthy 107, but are you going to be We wonder. All these questions, they're good questions. They're relevant to our mind here. But do you notice that the Bible never answers those? God never answers those in a really direct way. What do we see throughout the Bible? What do we see so far in this passage? He answers with "thing you get God. The holiness and the glory of God. So while we ask all these horizontal kind of questions, God's answer throughout the Bible is this one answer. You get to be in the presence of God, the glory of God. My question to you this morning, is that enough for you? When when you humanly think, what are we going to eat? Are we going to eat? Will there be Krispy Kreme in heaven? If we do eat, I'm convinced that there will be Krispy Kreme in heaven. Okay, But I don't know that we're going to eat. I mean, I know there's a marriage supper of the Lamb, but do we need to eat? Do we need that nourishment? I know that Adam and Eve ate in the garden before sin, And so if there's a restoration, a redeeming of that which is broken by sin, you know, I believe that there will be animals. I believe there will be work. We covered that last week. We looked at Genesis. We'll get to serve God. There will be a joy in that. But all these questions that we have that are good questions, they're relevant in the sense of our human understanding, they're all answered in the Bible by one answer. We get the glory of God. We get to be in the presence of his holiness forever and ever and ever. Remember the verse that we read before, 1 Corinthians 2.9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor in the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Do You see a key word in there? Relevant to our sermon this morning? Prepared. Order. Intentionality. God's not making this up as He goes. He's not waiting to see how things turn out. He has a plan that is prepared. That is ordered. That is purpose and intentionality. Go back to that other verse that we looked. First Corinthians uh, 13.12 For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then, what? I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. It's not now, but it is then. Folks, God has a plan for us. Revelation 21, 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. This plan of God is that we get to be in the presence of God. Let's cheat a little bit. Do you ever go to the end of a book to see, kind of like, okay, what, what's going to happen are they going to stay alive? Do they get killed? You know, they, do they getting written off the, the, the book here? Revelation 21, go down to verse 22 and 23. Let's glimpse into what we will see a couple weeks from now. And I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives us light. And the lamp is the lamp. Church, is that enough? Is that enough? Even for a little BB brain. Even wondering, okay, how new is this going to be? And what kind of new is it? Is it enough what the Bible does tell us as it points back to one thing? And it's not the color of our robe. It's not what's on the menu. It's none of those things. It is the glory of God. And we get the Lamb of God who saved our lives. Let's pray this morning. Father God, I am as inquisitive, wondering as any other person here, Father especially when it comes to those questions about heaven and family. About even though Carly and I are not going to be given in marriage, well, what does that mean? And when I know my kids and when I have a mansion near my grandkids, I get that, Father. And I thank you for your patience and your kindness and your goodness, Father. That you understand that now with earthly minds, That we look at a word mansion and we start thinking about, okay, are we going to be by our friends? But Father, thank you that when we look in your word and we try to get real answers, biblical answers, your answers to all these complexity of of questions, Father, we get this one repeated question, uh, or answer time after time after time after time, we get you. And Father, will you help us in faith to say, not in ignorance, Father, not in a nonchalant way, but Father, in a thirsting, will you let that be enough? Will you grow us in our faith and our walk with you that our longing for you is much more of a driving factor in our longing for heaven than just escaping the evils of this world? I don't know how you're going to do it. But I know that it will be prepared and intentional and that I will see you face to face. Let that encourage my heart, our hearts. Let that be the driving force this morning, Father, for us to go and tell others that don't know about Christ, about this beauty of the gospel. Father, let it be sufficient to give us a peace that truly surpasses understanding we love you and we thank you and we pray all this in the hope that is Christ Amen Thank you for listening today we hope this message was a blessing to you to learn more about our church or our media ministry you can visit us online